0: It's uh, time to uh, get going, and this is the third night, and uh, people are getting tired and worn out, and so I uh, was actually expecting a whole bunch of y'all to not be here tonight, and um, I'm thankful that you are here. You know what? Uh, We're going to pray, and then we're going to hop into Ephesians. We're going to do some things a little bit differently tonight because uh, I don't have my computer and we had some, some issues with that, so we're going to use the old-fashioned way of a Bible. Is that okay with y'all? So <clears throat> we're going to do that. So let's pray and then we're going to hop right on into this. Uh, Lord God, we are grateful that you have blessed us with your own presence through your Holy Spirit because of the victory you gained through Jesus, your Son. We praise your name, Father, and we are dwelling in your presence every single day because you have made us your temple. And you have pulled all the human race in, Jews and Gentiles, to make us one so that we can live in harmony and peace and shalom with one another so that we can show the world what it looks like to live in love. I ask that you help us do that today, Father. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear we just give you praise we join the chorus of the sun and the moon and the stars and we sing praises to your name and it is through jesus our high priest who leads us in worship that we offer this to you it's in his name we pray amen okay um i just want to briefly mention i haven't uh done this yet except uh, i was told to mention surrendering uh to hope um uh, that is available in next to starbucks that's our new book and there's actually a class going on about that every day at two o'clock uh, so i've done my duty on that i do want to mention one book on the holy spirit that i uh, read two years ago and it's called uh fresh air okay and it's subtitled, The Holy Spirit for an Inspired Life by Jack Levinson, L-E-V-I-S-O-N. This is one of the best books I've read on the Spirit. In fact, it's just one of the best books I've read in a long, long, long time. It is, approaches this subject in a completely different way. He has a whole bunch of stuff from text that you just simply would not even imagine a lot of those are in the Hebrew Bible, so this, this is good stuff, and he uh, brings it into our own lives as temples for God in a powerful, powerful way. Um, the Spirit is not just about speaking in tongues and all that kind of jazz, it is about being the aroma of Christ, the incense of Christ in this world. And we're going to explore that just a little more in a few minutes. So in Ephesians, I want to introduce a term to you that you probably have never, ever heard of before. And um, I'm going to throw it out there and let that be our controlling word or two words for tonight. And that is homo liturgicus, okay, homo liturgicus, that is the worshiping human being, that what the Spirit does is He transforms us into people who worship. And so we're going to explore that tonight. We, um, this is experiencing the Spirit through Ephesians, and tonight we're talking about drinking in the Spirit. And when we drink in the spirit, the thing that's going to mark us as God's people more than anything else on this planet, other than love, is the fact that we worship God and we invite other people to do the same. Okay, so um, I'm going to read some texts with you and a number of these are going to be in the Hebrew Bible. So I want to begin with Exodus chapter 19. and these are going to bring us to Ephesians. But in Exodus chapter 19, this is a critical text <clears throat> that defines the nature of what it means to be the people of God. In Exodus 19, God has uh, Yahweh has brought the children of Israel out of the land of slavery by His grace. A mighty hand and outstretched arm. The Israelites did not earn this. They did not buy God off. They did not rebel. They did absolutely nothing. The Lord God Almighty redeemed them. He redeemed them by grace. And as I've said to people before, if you ever want to see a place in the Bible where it talks about salvation by grace alone, it is the Exodus. Exodus. Okay, the Exodus, God redeemed people who barely even know His name. Is that not correct? They barely know His name. They're functional pagans. They don't even want to go. They have no faith. They don't like Moses. And yet the Lord brings them out. And he does this on the basis of his love. And he has Moses tell Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, which we've already referred to in the previous nights, tell Pharaoh to let my son go. Let my son go. That he will come to the mountain so that he can worship me. Okay? And I will be... They're God and they will be my people. So this is wonderful stuff. And so when they go through the Red Sea, that's not the end of the story. okay? The goal of the Exodus is not just leave Egypt. The goal of the Exodus is that God will dwell with his people. That's the goal. That's what Paul's been talking about. That's the temple coming to us, okay? So Exodus doesn't end at the Red Sea. Exodus ends with the tabernacle. So it's from the Garden of Eden and getting kicked out to coming back to the Garden of Eden in the tabernacle. So it's paradise lost, paradise regained that is the narrative and in exodus chapter 19 after the people have been redeemed they're brought to the mountain where god told moses to bring the people and the mountain is the mountain of god and and god dwells there in some sense and this is what it says i'm going to read um, the first couple of verses am going to pick up with verse one then go skip down to verse three it says on the third new moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt." Now, here the narrator has just given you a massive clue. This this is not just a chronological thing. What happens on the third new moon in the calendar year is the day of Pentecost, Shavuot. That's what it is. So all the Israelites after this, they look back and say, on the day of Pentecost, God married his people. That's what's going on in Acts chapter 2, by the way. God married his people and he gave them the marriage certificate, which is the Torah. Okay, they're already redeemed. Exodus comes before Sinai, Calvary comes before Pentecost, grace comes before faith. It always has, it always will. So God brings them out, he brings them to the mountain. And on the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, he says these words, beginning with verse 3. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is a reminder of God's mighty acts to redeem them. The plagues, the whole nine yards, okay, this, this is... You, you've seen what I had to go through to set you free. You've seen what I have been willing to do to win your love for me. You have seen this. You have witnessed this. Then he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians... And notice this in verse 4 and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's that word access in the Septuagint that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, that we talked about on the first night. That I have brought you into my presence, that we have access to the Father through the Spirit. Y'all, don't have, anybody here from the first night? You remember that? Okay, this is a powerful word. I have brought you to myself to give you access to myself. That's what husbands do and wives do when they get married, isn't it? You've entered into this covenant and you give access to your marriage partner, your covenant partner, that they didn't have before. I have brought you to myself. God says now this is what I've done this is massive grace that I have done now that I have done this I have entered into this covenant if you obey my voice and keep my covenant you shall be my treasured possession out of all the nations indeed the entire universe is mine. But you will be my treasured possession. This is powerful language. And then notice what it says. But you shall be for me. There, you're entering into this covenantal relationship with me for a purpose. You will be a kingdom. Of priests. I want to ask you, what is it? Now, now there are Levites, okay, and Levites are the, the the priestly tribe in Israel. And then within the Levites, there is a special family where certain high priests come from. That's the family of Aaron, right? So, but the entire nation of Israel. <coughs> Is a kingdom of priests. Every Israelite is a priest. Okay? That's what the Hebrew Bible teaches. And this is not new for Paul. This is not new for Peter. The Gentiles have now been brought into the, the nation of Israel, as we've seen going through Ephesians. Now, if they've come into the nation of Israel, they too are what? a kingdom of priests." Now, what is it that priests do? Okay, This is an important question. This goes to the identity of Israel. This goes to what Israel was created for. I I didn't just redeem you to prove that I could. I picked you because nobody else wanted you. Your, Your kids were so useless. It was legalized to murder your kids with impunity. That's how useless you were. I saved you from death. I saved you from genocide. I saved you from the trash heap. I brought you from death to life. That's what God did in the Exodus. This is why the Israelites, to this very day, they celebrate this every single year called the Passover. And Jesus did it every year of his life. So this is a big deal. So what is it The king, what what do priests do? They lead people in worship. The high priest leads the Israelites in worship, and the Israelites are called in the Hebrew Bible to lead the nations into worship of the one true God. So, we see this in a number of texts. Let's go, for example, to Psalm 96. And this is throughout the Psalms, and you're going to find it in a number of places in the prophets and other places as well. But... The Psalms are loaded with this stuff, and the Psalms are going to be the book of the Hebrew Bible that the Israelites are going to know the most, because, you know, they didn't have pocket Old Testaments that they carried around, right? So they encountered the Psalms every time they went to church. Isn't that the correct? This is the audience participation part. That's what they did. They, they, They did that. This is the t- and this is what it says in Psalm 96. I'm going to begin with verse 1. And I'm going to read down through verse 9. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, what? All the earth. So this is an imperative The children of Israel gathered together in the temple, and the priest is leading them, the Israelites, in worship, and then the Israelites are singing to all the world, come and join us in worshiping not Baal and Marduk and all those. Come worship the Lord. So sing to the Lord a new song, all the earth. And then it says, sing to the Lord... Bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory, where? Among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Now the peoples here in the nations are not the Israelites. These are the ethne. These are the Gentiles. These are the non-Israelites. They are functioning as a kingdom of priests. And then the text goes on and it says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. This is why everybody needs to praise Him, because He's great. And then it says, um, He is to be revered above all gods. You nations, you have your gods, and they're nothing Our God, Yahweh, is the great God. You need to come and worship Him. And then the text says, For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of all the peoples are what? Idols. The Hebrew here for idols means empty nothings. That's what they are. They are empty nothings. Why would you worship this empty nothing?" especially when you can worship the one true God. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are where? In His temple. And Paul has told us that we are the temple in Ephesians, hasn't he? We've been talking about that for two days. We've been through the holy spirit that's what we are and beauty and holiness are in the temple and if you're in the temple that means what holiness and beauty for you that's what that means and then he says a scribe when i say when i say he the priest is doing this so here's the imperative all of a sudden you 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 look out and you see the nations, and you are addressing the nations directly, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring offerings and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before Him All the earth. Here, Israel is a light to the nations. That's what they are in worship. A kingdom of priests that have been redeemed by God's grace, Yahweh's grace, brought into his presence, entered into a covenant with him, and he says, Now I want you to do for them what I have done for you. I have set you free, now tell them about it." That's what we are to do. So kingdoms of priests lead people in worship. Israel's job is to do what Adam was supposed to do in the original temple, which is the garden which is to serve and worship the Lord. Now, we show that. Now, I want to look at a couple other texts that go along here. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And this is the dedication of the temple narrative in 2 Chronicles. And as I mentioned the other night, 2 Chronicles is the last book of the Hebrew Bible. Okay, Malachi is not. That that's in our our Protestant English Bible. You know, we talk about that four hundred years of silence. An Israelite never heard of that. Jews never heard of that. I mean, where in the world did Anna come from if she was a prophet if there were no prophets? You ever thought about that before? Okay, so she was clear. And by the way, she was a she. You know, she she was a she. Anna was a prophet. But nobody told her that there was 400 years of silence. You know, I mean, nobody told her that. So I doubt seriously that she became a prophet the day Jesus walked into the temple. Y'all understand that, right? So, but at any rate, the temple is such a prominent theme in Chronicles. And we again, we, this, is, this is what happens. Solomon is praying, and he gets to near the end of his prayer, and this is what it says in verse 32. Likewise, when aliens or foreigners... Now, again, who's an alien? Who's a foreigner? They are non-Israelites, correct? They are people who are not part of the covenant. They are people who, who, as I have been raised all my life, that the law of Moses had nothing to do with. Okay, I was taught that. Now, it says quite clearly here, likewise, when the foreigner, who are not your people... They're not your people, Israel. They come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this house, this temple, may you hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you in order that... For the purpose of, that all the nations of the earth may know your name. God created Israel to be a witness to the nations. He puts his temple in the middle of... Of Israel and he put Israel in the middle of the world and he puts himself in the middle of Israel in the middle of the world to show the whole world that God is dwelling with his people and they will all see his glory and come and worship him because priests who have been redeemed and they've seen God's glory lead people to worship they don't lead them to themselves Nobody is being called to come and worship Israel or honor Israel. Come and worship the king because of his great name, his outstretched arm, his mighty hand, his works, his grace, so that they may revere him. And then just one more text that you probably will be unfamiliar with, but it's in a book called Tobit. And I am going to read Tobit chapter 13. And notice what it says. It's actually chapter 14. It says, but God will again have mercy on them. That is the Israelites. And when God has mercy on the Israelites, God will bring them back into the land, and they will rebuild the temple, the temple of God. But not like the first one until the period when the times of fulfillment shall come. And this, they will all return from their exile and they will rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That is the temple of God in all its splendors, just as the prophets of Israel had said concerning it. Then notice what it says, then the nations in the whole world will be converted and worship God in truth. So, according to Tobit, when God sheds His grace and mercy upon Israel, and He redeems them from the grave of the death, as we saw in Ezekiel chapter 37, He brings them out of that exile, filling them with the temple, and the temple is rebuilt, filling them with the Spirit. The nations are converted. And Paul says, that's happened. God has raised us from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, right? You were dead in your trespasses. Remember that? And what did He do? He raised you and gave you life, filled you with life, placed you in the heavenly places. That's temple language. It's not Gnosticism. He says, placed you in the heavenly places. And now that you've done that, the the brokenness of the world between the Jews and the Gentiles have been brought together into one new man because there's only one temple. And you've been built into that temple. And now I want you to know, the Jews and Gentiles, he says, you Gentiles, have been, you've been made part of the covenant nation of Israel. You are now part of the temple, and that means you are priests. What do priests do? They lead people to worship the one true God. That's what they do. They bring them into the presence of the Lord. And Paul says, that is why we, the raised from the dead people who have been built into the temple of God's dwelling through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we have this spirit so that we can lead people into worship. Now, that's Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go there. Ephesians 5 begins with an explicit temple image. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God, this is chapter 5, verse 1, as beloved children. All of us, the Jews and the Gentiles, you you are now God's children. Be Be an imitator of your Father. That's what you need to do. You know? I remember being young and being a copycat of my dad. That's what we do, right? I want you to be a copycat of your father. And what was that? Well, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. That's what we need to do to maintain shalom in the the temple. And he's going to unpack that. And live in love as Christ, that is the king, loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Where are sacrifices made? In the temple. And Jesus is the atoning sacrifice in the temple. And now that the sacrifice and the act of worship has been done through the Spirit... We now have this access to God who was in the holy place. And now we all have that, he says. So if you're living in the temple, there are certain things that priests are not allowed to do. Okay, Holiness and beauty, as we saw, dwell before the Lord in his temple. Now you can read Psalm 24 and Psalm 15 if you want to to explore some more on that. Who is it that can dwell in the house of the Lord? Isn't that what the psalm asks? Who who may do that? What is the house of the Lord? That's the temple. And Paul goes on to these Gentiles and he says, you cannot live as Gentiles used to live. You're not a Gentile anymore. You cannot do this. You are not a Gentile. You are now Israelites. You have been brought into the covenantal nation of Israel. Now, you didn't have to go through circumcision to do that, but you are now, as he says to the Galatians, you're the children of Abraham. Doesn't he do that? And that's the whole point in Galatians. So many of us have totally misunderstood Galatians. Galatians is about Gentiles. What do Gentiles, not Jews, have to do to be in a covenant relationship with God? And Paul says Gentiles do not have to be circumcised to be part of the family of God. But they do have to be children of Abraham. Okay? So, baptism in Galatians chapter 3, and I've grown up with this all my life. Galatians 3, 28. You know, if you have faith, you've been baptized into Christ, you know, we are His. That's, that's what. But it doesn't stop there. He says if you belong to the Messiah, the goal of baptism is to confirm the Abrahamic covenant. God's keeping His promise. Every time a Gentile comes into Israel, God is making Abraham the father of many nations. That's what's going on. And He says, You Gentiles cannot live as Gentiles did. Gentiles were not allowed to come into the inner chamber of the temple. You are the temple. (laughs) That middle wall's been broken out. And so, from chapter 5, verse 3 on down, he gives all these different kinds of things. He says, These things are not proper to be mentioned, or they're not proper among the saints. A good Jewish word that now these Gentiles are. You are part of the saints. Now, if you won't, don't believe me that that's a good Jewish word, just get out your old King James Septu- uh, Septuagint Concordance or maybe even the NIV and just go through the book of Psalms and see how many times the word saint occurs. Okay? The Israelites are the saints, but now the Gentiles are counted among the saints. And they can come into the temple. And so we skip on down a couple of verses. <coughs> It says in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be associated them. And notice this word in verse 8. For once all of y'all were in darkness. Third person plural. He didn't say all of us. All of you Gentiles, read Romans chapter 1 and 2. Paul's not very complimentary about Gentiles there, is he? Is he? He's not. Not very complimentary at all. He says, You lived in darkness. Paul doesn't say the Jews lived in darkness. You lived in darkness, but God set you free, just like He did the Israelites. You went from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of death, to the kingdom of light. That's exodus language. That's redemption language that Paul is applying to the Gentiles. And he says, listen to me. For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you, third person plural, you Gentiles are light. You are light. Doesn't say you're gonna be like light, you are light. And this should evoke all kinds of good images in our head because Israel was supposed to be the light of the nations. Isaiah 549, you know, how many people remember that? Yeah. You're, you're supposed to be the, the light of the nations. That's because Israel's a kingdom of priests, and the kingdom of priests. Call the nations to come in the power to come to the dwelling place of God where God is dwelling and living in the whole world and the whole world is supposed to come to Him and be healed and to worship Him. And so the text goes on and it says, Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in what is good and right and true. Try to find out what is the will of the Lord, he says. For what is deemed shameful, what is done that is shameful, is too shameful to even mention. Such things that these people do in secret, he says. But these things, we want nothing to do with them. Therefore, it says, and Paul, who's talking about living in the temple, suddenly breaks out in song. And in worship, in the temple, what are we doing? We're we're worshiping. And so Paul starts to sing Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. You know that song? That comes from right here Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. Let Jesus shine on you. You know that song? It's right here. Scholars will tell you it's a baptismal hymn, that all these folks have probably gone through this. They were dead. They have been awakened from the dead and placed inside God's covenant nation. And now that you're there, you, can't, you cannot. You, you have to live your song. You have to live what you did. You came to baptism, and baptism itself is an act of worship. You came and you're worshiping the Lord. You're bringing yourself to Him. Kind of like the Israelites were brought to God and gain access to Him. And then the text goes on. It says, be careful now how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with it. You're already supposed to have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has built us into a dwelling place for God. He's just told us that in chapter 2, did He not? He told us in chapter 1, verse 15, that I pray that uh, He will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Remember that last night? And He told us just a couple verses before that in verse 15 that you have received the Holy Spirit of promise, And now he comes along to people who have been redeemed, people who have been set free, people who have gone from death to light, people who have gone from non-Gentile, I mean from Gentiles to being non-Gentiles, people who are aliens to people who are citizens. This is what you are. Now, if you are filled with the Spirit and you live in the temple of God and God has made you a priest, you need to act like one. You need to act like a priest. And what do priests do? Well, Paul's not anti wine here. He's anti debauchery. And the command here is to be filled with the Spirit. Drink the Spirit. The command here is not sing songs, it's not give thanks. It's not making melody in your heart. It's not submitting to one another. Those are not commands. The command is be filled with the Spirit. That is in the imperative mood. Be filled. And then you have, in the same sentence, a series of five participles. That's what they are. And the participles are actually, as um, Dan Wallace says in his Greek Grammar Beyond the Basics, it's a big, massive book that you use in uh, second and third year Greek, and it's one of those things that gives you nightmare, but you sleep with it when you're taking it, and it's like, okay. So this is what he says. These particular participles are dependent participles of result. Now, you're going to need to know that to go to heaven, I just promise you. Okay? (laughs) What that means is that the singing of the psalms, and Paul does say sing the psalms, and the making the music, the thanksgiving, and the submitting to one another are the result of the Spirit living in you. That's the key. When you are filled with the Spirit, and this is how you can know, how joyful is it to you to go and gather together with the saints and lose yourself in worship of the Lord. That is an indication of how much you have drunk the Spirit. Because when the Spirit is filling in you, He makes you into a priest and you join the Israelites who say better is a day at the Lord's court than a thousand elsewhere. That! And, and we say those Israelites didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden you get that Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit away from me. Doesn't it say that? Oh my goodness. They knew something about this. But they knew more about the Massive presence of the Lord. They wanted to be in the presence of God. They would go anywhere to be in the presence of God because where God is, as we saw last night, shalom is there. Where God is, life is. Where the blessing of the Lord is everything. It may be pure hell out there. They're all looking for me. They're trying to kill me, you're me, all those enemies in the Psalms. But I'm going to the house of the Lord. Because there I find safety and respite. Man, the Lord is a stronghold in a day of sorrow and turmoil, isn't He? So when you are not selling yourself out, and there's some historical background here of Bacchus, and, and somebody said to me one time, oh, they just didn't have those kind of alcohol problems in the first century. And I said, hello, have you ever heard of Bacchus before? How many people have ever heard of Bacchus. I mean, that makes our NFL look like it's a peewee football game, okay? I'm telling you. Uh, it, Paul knows all about that. Do not be filled with Bacchus that does lead to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to become a homo liturgicus you will become a worshiping human being. I grew up thinking that worship was simply going to church and making sure I do this, 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 and this. Worship is about experiencing the presence of God. And the assembly is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, when we gather together, It is as much a holy spot on this planet as the burning bush was. Because God comes, he wants to fellowship with his people. And Jesus told us, he says, where two or three of you gather together in my name, I'm there. He's not somewhere over the rainbow. He's right here. He is in that stuff from Matthew where he says, I am with you. That's straight out of the Hebrew Bible. It's temple language. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never depart from you. Go into all the world. And what? I will be with you. It's temple language. Where we go... With a song in our heart, with the psalms in our heart. Paul quotes Psalm chapter 27. I just never even paid any attention to this. If People who know me know I love the psalms, and that's partly because of Paul. <laughs> Paul told us to do this. He didn't just tell us to sing. He told us to sing psalms, and he quotes the psalms when he does it sing and make melody in your heart is from psalm chapter 27 verse 6. He directly, expi- if you've got a Greek new testament go look, it's got it right there, it's, it says it, psalm 27 verse 6, this is where this comes from, in fact that exact phrase occurs five times in the psalms, and by the way it also uses the word solo, which is kind of interesting but when when the spirit is filling us not only will we be people who sing praises to God like in Psalm 96 but we will give thanksgiving to the Lord and not only will we give thanksgiving to the Lord this goes to that directly into that unity motif and shalom motif in Ephesians. We will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, Paul is talking to Jews and Gentiles here. This is like Black Panthers and Ku Klux Klan sitting together at the table. Now, if you can get the Grand Wizard of the KKK to wash the feet of Malcolm X, that would be an amazing thing to do. Amen? Amen. And Paul says, in the church, that's happened. If you're filled with the Spirit, you will submit to one another out of reverence for the king, because what did he do? He submitted, and he gave himself. As a fragrant offering so that you could come together and be his people. And then he's going to go after chapter 5. He's going to start talking about that house to fill that they keep talking about, how children should act and all that kind of stuff. And he ends with the men and the women as we talked about last night. And the women and the men are one. And Paul says, I'm not even talking about husbands, wives. You think I am, but I'm not. I'm talking about Jews and Gentiles in the church. They became one flesh. This is a great mystery. But it's Christ in the church. So if this is what he did to be our high priest, that's what we do. That's what it means to be a spirit-filled worshiper. We're a kingdom of priests leading people joyfully in worship. It's not so much of all the speaking in tongues and all that. Those things are there. But if you're filled with the spirit, you're going to love your neighbor. You're going to sacrifice for them. If you're filled with the spirit, you're going to worship God and you're going to this is going to be the greatest thing in your life. And we're going to give thanksgiving and we're going to l- submit to one another. My time is up. I want to thank you for coming out. Uh, I do recommend Jack Levinson's book, Fresh Air. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful book. You will love it. You'll be blessed by it. And um, um, he's got a great chapter in there on Ezekiel 37 and other places that are just, have blessed me. So anyway, let's pray. I thank you so much for coming out. I'm honored by your presence. Third night, uh, a lot of us are tired, and uh, so we're going to go home. No, we're not going to go home. We're going to see you tomorrow somewhere. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for making us a kingdom of priests because you have delivered us and brought us to yourself. And through your Holy Spirit, you have given us access to you. I pray that you will fill us with your spirit and we will sing psalms. We will make joyful noise to you we will give thanksgiving, we will love one another, we will serve one another, and we will submit to one another. I ask you to be with us tonight as we go. I thank you so much for this place at Pepperdine that is a harbor, a respite. Father, we can't even begin to tell you how much we love you. And we pray to you, Spirit, that you will convey what our heart and our words do not.